So let's go now. We started last week. Uh, we kind of did a soft start two weeks ago, but last week we dove into uh, this whole topic of the kingdom of God. And this morning we're turning our attention to Matthew 13. Let's pray together. Our great God, we rejoice this morning that that you are the real sower of the seed, that you have the power to break up our cold hearts, and you have the power to allow the precious word of the kingdom to take root and to grow and to transform. You water it, you care for it, so that your people might bear fruit, that the world might be blessed and your glory spread. But Father, you've also told us in this passage that the devil is at work. That he wants to snatch the seed of your kingdom, the word of your kingdom away that they may not take root. He wants to bring a false sense of assurance of salvation only to leave us in the dust as the cares of the world come upon us. He wants to choke us with the deceitfulness of wealth and the promise that the world gives to be better than you. But Father, this morning we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would allow the Word to be sown and you would give each one of us understanding that the Word might go into broken soil, that Father, you might work it and tend it to grow it, to get the glory you deserve and to give us the the good that we so long for, life itself. Lord Jesus, you are the teacher. And so would you come and would you teach us, would you show us your face, would you change us and mold us into the children that you would have us be. Father, meet us at the point that we think we've learned everything. Meet us at the point where we think there is no hope. Father, meet meet us at whatever point we are this morning and apply your word and produce a harvest. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the passage is about gardening, and uh, I tried gardening one time on a pretty big scale. Uh, We were living in Olive Branch, Mississippi, and we had bought three acres of land. And I thought, hey, I'm in Olive Branch, we have three acres of land. I mean, what else can I, I mean, I need to learn to garden. So I borrowed a tiller from somebody in our church, and I tilled uh, a big patch of ground. I planted or sowed corn, sweet corn, and I watered and I weeded and I waited. And I watched as that corn grew and and as it began to, to sprout little ears of corn, I got all of excited until the day came when I said, it's time to test one. And so I, I, I removed one of those ears of corn, and I went inside, I peeled it, I took all the uh, the, the fuzz or the, the hair, whatever that stuff is on it. You can tell what kind of gardener I am. <clears throat> I boiled it, I took a bite of it, and it was like amazing. It's the best corn I'd ever eaten. And I called Rachel in, I said, take a bite of this, and all the children, take, oh man, tomorrow we are going to have corn. 
And so I could barely sleep that night. And first thing the next morning, I get up and I walk outside. And as I'm walking toward my garden, something does not look right. And the closer I get, all the stalks were lying down on their side. And all I can think is those blasted teenagers. It looked like somebody had taken a truck and just driven through my corn garden. And the closer I got, I'm looking for tire tracks, and there are no tire tracks, but there are animal tracks. These little mass bandits, raccoons, must have been hanging out in the trees, watching and waiting for me to go and pick that ear of corn, and then they knew, oh, 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 yeah, it's time, and the party's on. There was not one ear of corn left. What I learned through that is the agricultural cycle of sowing seed and getting the seed to take root, watering it as it grows, protecting it from weeds, disease, and animals so that the plant can produce a harvest is a long, fragile process. But it's the only means that God has given us to get a harvest. There's no shortcut, and we hate that. We want to go from seed to harvest instantaneously. But what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that the Christian life and becoming a citizen of the kingdom is a long, grueling process. And we hate that. But whereas the process is fragile and long... The analogy is clear that it's irreplaceable. It's the only way to produce healthy fruit. You can't shortcut it. And boy, haven't we tried. I mean, just take the illustration of food. I mean, we have traded real food, real nutrition for fake food, for stuff that's been processed, stuff that's been created in a lab. And stuff as um, works such as Fast Food Nation or the documentary Super Size Me has revealed very clearly in a host of other resources, if we try to live on it, we will be unhealthy and we will eventually be killed. We'll die from it. You've got to come under the reality that God has made us to eat in a healthy way. And if you don't do that, you're going to suffer the consequences. We need to repent and we need to believe the process of God. And the same is true, not just in a health sense, but also in a spiritual health sense. You see, what Jesus is telling us is we need to repent and believe the realities of the kingdom. He puts it like this in John 6, or 12, 24, where he said, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies... It produces many seeds. This whole metaphor of the kingdom, the kingdom economy, is if you want to see fruit, if you want to see change, if you want to see effectiveness in your life, if you want to know life, then you have to die so that God might live in and through you. And we don't like that. But Jesus is telling us there is no other way. It's God's design. For His kingdom power to change you. Oh, we wish it were different. 
<laughs> we wish we could just follow a formula. We wish it were more like a boulder or, you know, something powerful that just comes in and, ah, there's the instant change, but it's like a seed. And part of being a good farmer is waiting patiently for the process to work. Not seeking shortcuts, but submitting to one greater than you. You see, we're looking at this whole idea of the kingdom. And these are kingdom parables in Matthew 13. And it's a little odd. I mean, we want something more fantastic. We want something more entertaining. But Jesus said, if you want to be about the kingdom, then be about this. Be about letting the seed of the kingdom rest on your heart. Let God break up the soil of your life so that it will receive it. Let God water it. Let Him grow you over time. Let Him produce the fruit that He's seeking to produce. And don't seek to manipulate Him. Give yourself to Him. Give yourself to the gardener. All you need is rest, but do you have that? And so the question clearly before us this morning from this parable is, are you a citizen of the kingdom? And this is interesting because Jesus does something that He doesn't do in many other places, and that is He explains the parable of the sower. He doesn't just give it, but He explains it. And so let's look at it. I mean, He explained it to us, so it made my job really easy. I just have to tell you what He said. And here's what He said. The seed is the word of the kingdom. Don't be, don't, I mean, let's just take the mystery out of it. The seed is the word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom. That's what we began to look at last week. The word of the kingdom. You see, Jesus is not only a Savior. Thank God He is our Savior. Thank God that He came and He lived under the law in our place. Because He knew that we could not live under the law. But it would crush us. And then He went to the cross and He became our sin. And God the Father punished Him for the sins that we have committed. And so now... Solely through faith, we can receive the credit that, that He has worked up of righteousness. So God the Father, through faith in Christ Jesus, sees me as righteous because He, my Savior, is righteous. But what the, the, the Bible tells us from beginning to end is that whereas that is, is the essence of, of kingdom entrance and essence of the kingdom good news, we have been saved Unto a king who is at work in the kingdom. See, Jesus is the long-awaited Savior King. He has come to vanquish sin and death and reverse the effects of the fall in our hearts and make us loving, merciful people who are broken over the brokenness within us and without us, but who boldly believe in the renewing grace of God. As we saw last week, we were created to live under King Jesus, to be His image bearers. We were created to do His bidding and to spread His glory throughout the world, and yet we chose our self-rule. We chose to question the Word of God, and, and we tr chose to believe Satan, who said to Adam, Did God really say that? 
And so what did God do? He gave us over. He gave us over to the lust of our hearts, Romans 1, to dishonorable passions and to a debased mind. And so that is who we are because God has given us over to simply what we wanted. We said we can do a better job. We'll bring you in when we need you, but we can do a better job. And God said, all right, you go try. And now we see the mess in the world that we have. But all throughout the Old Testament, even there at the curse in Genesis 3, God promises to send the seed of the woman who would crush the head of Satan. And so every prophet prophesied of a coming king, not just a savior, but a king who would sit on his throne and he would rule over the land and he would bring goodness in place of evil. And he would free the oppressed and he would clothe the naked and he would feed the hungry. He would be a father to the fatherless. And there would be a food, there would be food and there would be feasting and there would be dancing when the Messiah came and sat on his throne. And every prophet pointed forward. But then there were 400 years of silence, the intertestamental period. But then Jesus breaks the silence in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Behold, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The king has come. And he had yet to die for the sins of the people. He had yet to, to show forth and to reveal the nature of his work. But he revealed himself first as king because that is what the people of God were waiting and looking for. And the reason the Jews missed him is because he didn't get on the earthly throne. But he said, no, I come first to conquer sin and death by giving myself to sin and death, but not allowing it to keep me down. The resurrection is the essence of our hope because what it says is Jesus came back and all the junk that seeks to hold us down has no victory over us if we are citizens of the kingdom because he's already vanquished sin and death. And so now what Jesus is doing is he's renewing a people who will be his kingdom warriors. And we will be instruments of of love and forgiveness and kindness and goodness. We will be poor of spirit. In other words, what's poverty of spirit but but a, a heart that does not believe in itself, but says, I need a king. I will mess things up. I need King Jesus. I'm poor. I'm emptied of myself. And I'm mourning over the brokenness of the world and over the brokenness of my own life. And so come, King Jesus, and rule me and use me. Give me the grace to to forgive the one who spitefully uses me. Give me grace to, to love those that hate me. Help me not to be ruled by ambition and money and power and sex and fame, but help me to, to, to love those that you love, to, to heal the sick and... To bind up the wounds of the broken and the wounded. You see, that is the message of the word of the kingdom. And and we have done a poor job in the church of late. We've done a great job, I think. There's been a revival of the message of the gospel. But we need another revival. We need an additional revival. Not to replace the other message, but to complement the other message. And that God has saved us by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. 
so that we might now be citizens of the King, so we might now fulfill the promise and the covenant, all of the promises of the Old Testament, to be the people of God with Jesus on His throne, and Him bringing His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven through you and me, as we love our neighbor and we love God. As we are instruments of peace in the culture, instruments of righteousness and not hate, That's the message of the kingdom. The sower is the one who speaks the message of the kingdom. It's anyone who says, repent and believe that the king has come. And Jesus is the king. It's our simple message. That's why we can't change um, our views of morality half game. (laughs) In the middle of the game. Why? Because we don't choose what is right and wrong. Our king does. The whole thrust of, 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 of the kingdom theology is that we come under, we are saved to now value the things He values, to trust our King and not believe that our understanding is greater than His. That was the essence of sin in the garden. Oh, did God really say that? He doesn't really know what He's doing. Come on. He's, surely, I mean, if God were here, He, he would want to be culturally relevant. You see, it's, it's a different mentality when you say we serve a King. And yes, our King is the essence of love, but He must define that love, and there is no love without truth. So the sower is the one that sows that message, and the soil is the heart of man. And I want you to get that. Because another way to really ask all of this is, where is your heart this morning? Who or what rules your heart? Because somebody or something does. It's not, we'll serve Jesus. It's not a decision of, well, am I going to take a king and am I going to choose Jesus? It's, I'm already, what, what king am I already serving? All of us here are serving something. That's what addiction is. It's what materialism is. Whatever is ruling your mind is your king. And we're going to dissect that here in a minute. In Luke 6.45, Jesus said, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Out of the heart the mouth speaks, but out of the heart the life is lived. So everything that you do is a product of what's in your heart. Everything that you do reveals who you serve. And Jesus says, that shows who you follow. If you're following King Jesus, or if you're following King you, or someone around you. And so then he gives four examples, four opportunities for us to hold our heart up against the realities of this parable and say, am I a citizen of the kingdom? And as I work through this this week, couldn't help but be convicted by all of them because even if you are a citizen of the kingdom, there are moments when elements of all of these are in our hearts because our flesh is so powerful and because the devil is at so much work in our lives. We have an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to eat up and that enemy is you and that enemy is me. So it's not, oh, now I'm in the the kingdom, let's just... 
is I'm in the kingdom and I better watch out because the devil's at work. I mean, that is right here in the passage. And so the first heart is an unresponsive, callous heart. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. That's what was sown along the path. So the farmer goes out, he throws the seed, he casts the seed, and some of it uh, lands on the hard, worn, walking path. And it cannot get down because the soil is not broken up. And that person is somebody that may have heard the message once, or it's somebody who may have heard the message a few times, or it's someone who may have come to church their entire lives, but they guard their heart from the message. And they're about making themselves feel good about living the life that they live. It's that person who hears the beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And they say, well, you've never lived in my hood. You've got to fight to survive in my hood. You've got to run the streets in my hood. You've You've got to take or you're going to be taken in my hood. If you're shot up, then you've got to shoot up. You've got to be tough in my hood, poor in spirit. Give me a break. I mean, I'll take Jesus as Savior, but don't, I'm not following that stuff. Or it's that businessman, or it's that lawyer, or it's that whoever that says, you've never tried to run a business. You've never tried to, Jesus never tried to do it out in the real world. So yeah, 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 I mean, okay. But if I try to be poor in spirit, I'm going to lose my profits. I'm not going to win the contract. I'm not... You see, you see where it's going. There's a difference between a Savior and a Savior King. Because a Savior King can tell you what, you what you must do. Some of you may be here and you've looked around and you've seen people maybe raising hands or clapping. or And you're, in your heart you kind of feel better. You kind of, you kind of feel more enlightened. You've progressed beyond all this foolishness. But what the Scriptures say is you are the one that needs to be enlightened. Because the Scriptures say that God uh, holds you in, in darkness, convincing you that your view of the world that you've come to believe over the last 20 years or 25 years or 30 years or 60 or 70 years is better than what's been believed for the last over 2,000 years. (laughs) That you know more than the majority of people that have lived. You feel more enlightened, but you're the one that needs the soul of your heart broken up because it's hard. Paul says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. See, none of us come into the kingdom with a hard heart. God's got to do some stuff. You said, oh, there it is. Jesus is just a crutch. Let me tell you, Jesus is not a crutch. And I'm not telling you you need a crutch. You need a new heart. You, you need to be transformed. You don't need a crutch. You need, you need a whole new inside. You need a whole new reference point of truth and reality. That's what Jesus tells us here. Where's your heart in regard to the hardness 
of the worn path. Secondly, he warns us of a shallow heart. Verses 20 through 21, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is an emotional response to the word. And man, some of the old staunch Presbyterians or maybe Methodists or you know, definitely not Baptists, but maybe some of the you know, Episcopalians, uh, maybe throw some Catholics in there. You know, they say, there you go. I knew that there was all that emotionalistic, you know, garbage. I knew there was nothing. To, I told you to stay away from that. But notice in the past passage, the problem is not the joy. The problem is that that this person receives it with joy, but he doesn't have understanding so that the joy might continue. It's the fact that the joy ceases, that the emotional response to the realities of the king and the realities that, that the king has come to redeem a people is not really the reference point of his truth. This is the person who wanted a blessor but not a savior. They wanted a sugar daddy but not a king. Help and relief but not salvation. They saw Jesus as a service provider, but when he stopped providing the service, they said, okay, we'll move on. See, it's so easy to come to Jesus with an agenda, to not want Jesus and Jesus alone, but to want what Jesus can promise us. We are not sufferers in need of solutions, so says the Bible, but we are sinners in need of a Savior. You you think maybe that the biggest problem in your life is some big looming issue, but the biggest problem in your life is you haven't fallen on your face before the King and said, here, this issue is yours. Whether I live or whether I die, all is Christ. May He receive the glory. It's the person who comes to Jesus and says, I'm lonely, I wish I had, I wish I had a mate, I'm, I'm married and I wish it could just be fixed overnight or that I was married to somebody else or I'm poor and I wish I was rich or I'm rich and I, didn't, I wish I didn't have to have all the, the temptations and whatever. I mean, it's that person who gets on his knees before God and says, what you give me is right and I trust you, my King. Now tell me how you would have me use the life that you've given me. Because Jesus is everything. And when you have Jesus, you need nothing. This clearly was Judas. He hung in there for a while, but man, when things started heating up, there was no root, and he ran. This is Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. Paul says, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. This is why the heaviness, all of this is the heaviness of membership and why we do this, lining people up and having vows. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I've never felt, I don't know what the word is, uh, sufficient. Um, I'll just use that word. I, I, I can't tell if a per. I mean, 
I know what a person should say, and, and I feel like I can understand, I can see some brokenness in how a person, you know, God has worked in their heart, and they believe what they believe now, but I don't, I mean, are they one of, I don't know. I don't know if there's seed among the thorns or seed among that are shallow sown in the rocky I, I don't know. And so I think that's why Jesus told us that the life of the Christian is about not just one-time repentance, but ongoing repentance. Because, yeah, I mean, there, there are moments when my heart is moving in all of these directions. And then thirdly, we have the thorny heart. This could be the most frightening to me because there's no sign that it's exterminated. Listen, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But it doesn't wither and die. I mean, the other two, you can say, oh yeah, man, those, those get, throw them in the trash can, throw them out, they withered up and died. But this one just kind of lingers around. This is frightening. It's frightening to me because as I look at the history of Memphis and we talk about it a lot, how can we be one of the most churched cities in the country and simultaneously be the poorest city? In the country. The only conclusion that I can come to is that there are many who have had the seeds sown and the thorns are choking them. And friends, in this parable, because it was being spoken in an agrarian and agricultural environment, Jesus sitting in a boat, speaking to a bunch of farmers, not one of them would say, oh yeah, that was a good harvest. No, they would say, throw it out, I don't care what it looks like. It's not producing fruit. It's worthless. Jesus is saying is this is not a Christian. It scares me to death. I mean, who is not overwhelmed by the cares of the world at times? But you see, a real Christian knows and remembers and is constantly being brought back. Oh, I am overwhelmed. It looks hopeless. Ah, oh, but I have a king. And my king is king of kings. And my king is lord of lords. And he rules over the world. And so no matter what happens, they can destroy my body, but they can't take my soul. I'll just go right into the presence of my good king. Do you hear that? To see one who is weighed down by the troubles of the world can't get there. The one who is weighed down cannot... I mean, they pray, yeah, give us this bread, our daily bread. But in their minds, they're thinking, and also make my 401k as plush or more plush than anybody else. It's the person that says, yeah, food for the day. Okay, okay, great. But hey, what about tomorrow? What about next year? What about my college education, my children's? What, 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 believe me, there's plenty to freak out about. Especially if your heart is thorny. This is also the person that hears the false message of a prosperity theology. You, you give your money and you just watch what God's going to give you. Let me tell you something. I mean, this, it, 
Jesus gave everything he had, and you know what his father gave him? The cross. Prosperity theology is from the pit of hell. And there's some of you in here that believe it. There's some of you in here believe that God is going to bless you more because you came in this room this morning. That, that I've had many of you, I got a text this morning, pray for me, Pastor. Pray that I would be blessed. Because, not, not because they're longing and crying, but because they think that because I'm a pastor that my prayers are going to get them blessing. Jesus is the only one that can get us blessing. Let's get that straight. If you're hoping in me, we've got a huge problem. It's also that wealthy person. And you know, it's not even a wealthy person. That's not what he says here. The deceitfulness of riches. I think it's more us believing, man, that raise, that next job, that next, that next deal, man. Then I, then I'll arrive. That when I upsize my house, when I get this new car, when I buy that, those new pair of shoes, then, 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 then. And you're being deceived, so says Jesus. No. What brings you real satisfaction is me, and you don't have to have anything to buy me. As a matter of fact, if you try to buy me, you can't get me. All you can do is receive me. Would you receive me? See, that's, that's what he's saying here. This is the person who, I, I love the question of Galatians 4.15. Paul writes them and he says, what's happened? All your joy. You're like, man, that can't be a huge spiritual problem if I don't have joy. I've never had joy. Come on. Yeah, it's a huge spiritual problem. Why? Because the very direction that the Spirit of God inhabits a person for is love, joy. If you're not experiencing joy, but you're tithing. If you're not experiencing joy, but you're coming to church. You're not experiencing joy, but man, you're, you're supporting the mission. You're missing the boat. <laughs> because Jesus didn't come... To be bought, He came to give you joy and life abundantly so that out of the overflow of our joy, out of the overflow of our love, others might be blessed. Where's your heart this morning? Because the last one is the best one, the fruitful heart. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold in another 60, and in another 30. There's so much going on there. I'm just going to make this real simple. The process of being a citizen of the kingdom of God requires one thing, and that's rest. All the seed has to do is rest. Are you resting in Christ alone to save you from your sin, to make you righteous in God's sight, therefore fully acceptable, fully loved, so that you might live your life with King Jesus on the throne and not you, and not your boss, and not your teacher, not your students, not society, not your spouse, not your hope for a spouse, 
But are you sitting under the king and saying, I want you to rule over me because there is no one better than you? All you need is rest. I love what Tim Keller says. All you need is nothing and few of us have it. So true. Just That's all a seed has to do. Just, I mean, maybe a seed can cry out, water me. Maybe a seed can cry out, break up the soil of my life a little bit. Are you resting in Christ? Are are, are you wanting Him, the King, to come remake you that you might be a blessing to the world? That's the last beautiful reality of this parable. The city rejoices when a harvest is brought in. I mean, no, no farmer just brings it in and then gets it all in the closet. The whole purpose is to throw a feast. The whole purpose is to throw a party. The whole purpose is, is to have a farmer's market so the city can come. Dear friends, when the church becomes that, when we start producing the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness when we are poor in spirit and we're mourning over the brokenness of the world and we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, not for power, sex, and whatever else, God, to bless our holiday travel desires, then you are blessed, yes, but you become a blesser. You, the redeemed, become the redeemer. The poor get fed and they're rejoicing in your harvest. The uneducated get educated because, because the uneducated are rejoicing in your harvest. Do you see it? Now imagine a mighty army of God's people serving Him under the kingdom, redeemed, being renewed and, and made, made uh, um, healed and, and renewed under his, his good rule and reign over us, going out into the world, producing harvest and throwing off corn and tomatoes and in the form of goodness and righteousness and holiness and beauty and love and mercy and humility and compassion, not judgment. Oh, dear friends... May God make us a fruitful people so that He might get glory, so that our neighbors might be blessed and the city might be changed and the uttermost parts of the world feel the harvest that's that's going on right here at Downtown Church. Amen? Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank You. We thank You that You are the King of the Kingdom. And Lord Jesus, we pray that You would do what You must to make our lives fruitful, that You would till the soil that that we've been protecting from Your tiller. That You would get personal with us this morning, O God. And You would break it up and You would bring us in to the freedom and joy of Your kingship and Your rule. Because You invite us not to a courtroom of judgment, but a table for a feasting. Oh, our great God, would you be at work in the hearts, all of our hearts this morning, that we might repent and believe the gospel. Father, I can't do it. I can't even do it in my own life. I've got my hands full with me. (laughs) So would you do it in all of us? And we will give you the glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.